Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into a discussion and a conversation um, around uh, South Africa's creative sector. And by creative sector, we usually are talking about what's going on um, in the world of, you know, uh, brand communication, the world of advertising, uh, the world of, you know, how do companies uh, get their various messages out um, you know to to the rest of the world uh, to their different stakeholder groups you know whether that be business to business or uh, the one that we as consumers uh, tend to know is uh, business to consumer type of communication but in that entire universe uh, there are a number of different players that are there and we are just going to be having a conversation just around um, what's been going on during uh, you know this COVID-19 time and we are joined by Pritesh Suraj, who is uh, the CEO of uh, The Lorries. No stranger to the show. We actually spoke to him. It must have been um, earlier this year, if I remember correctly. And uh, we are having him back because uh, they recently had their award show, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, so we're just going to be getting a sense of what's going on. Uh, because whether we like it or not... Um, if you think about a lot of messaging uh, that uh, came out over the last year and a half, you know, all the communication about, you know, whether it's about, uh, at the moment, the, the big debate is around vaccinations. You know, how do you get that information out? At the beginning of the pandemic, it was about, uh, you know, communicating lockdown restrictions. It was about communicating the new ways that businesses were now operating. Um, so, you know, that entire evolution now has that that been who's benefiting who's not benefiting Pritesh, greetings to you today. Hi, Mudia. It's so good to be able to speak to you again. Um so in terms of uh you know all that where we've sort of painted that picture of uh you know what the last year and a half has been like you know your sense um of uh what the importance of the creative sector has been over that time and also as you are answering that uh, you know just for those that don't fully know about the lorries just a little bit about them okay fantastic i'll start with the lorries um so the lorries is the largest um, creative festival across Africa and the Middle East. And our work really is we're a nonprofit organization. And our goal is to support the creative sector across this vast region and ensure that, you know, we're creating the best work. We're breaking stereotypes and advancing the communication that's, that's being consumed by everyone. That's nearly 2 billion people across Africa and the Middle East. So that's the first part. And then in terms of just the creative sector and the work that it has been doing, I mean, I think one of the things we look at, we look at this challenging time of COVID-19 and I think about the lockdown that happened in March, 2020. What a lot of people don't know is that, that the creative sector was doing quite a bit of work in the background. So, so while, while there were a lot of amazing frontline workers in the medical fraternity, in, in supermarkets, in different areas doing stuff, the creative industry was also working this time to ensure that government had all of the communication they had to be able to communicate, be it across digital television, uh, posters in hospitals, uh, communicating um, how you can protect yourself from, from COVID. Uh, supermarkets using the communication to remember all the panic buying that was happening. And even in that time, just communicating 
the goods that were available. And then ultimately you look at bodies such as the Solidarity Fund. I mean, the creative industry, we, there was an agency involved in creating that identity really quickly so that that could go to the market and get people involved. So the creative industry has always been behind the scenes and doesn't actually speak about it a lot or at all, to be honest. That's why I'm here to, to tell you about the amazing work this industry actually does in supporting South Africa, supporting Africa and the Middle East and just society in general. Now, despite um, everything that you've just said, because there there is a sort of obvious important role um, that the sector has, uh, you know, has played uh, because there were all of these different messages that had to go out, um, you know, from businesses, from the government, um, you know, from uh, the health sector, uh, trying to communicate what COVID-19 is or was businesses, you know, shifting their strategies, trying to tell their people you know, when they can come, when they cannot come, you know, how many people need to be in a store, how many people can't be in a store, um, you know, all of these different things, you know, like you said, you've got creative, um, uh, you've got creative professionals that are tasked, you know, to communicate all that. Um, would you say that it has been, um, I don't know, how, how do I put this? Because, for example, when you look at the technology sector, the technology sector has been an obvious winner of, uh, you know, the pandemic period because of our growing reliance. I mean, right now you and I are, are talking, you know, through the miracle of technology. Um, so, you know, that's an obvious case. Uh, but when it comes to the creative sector, did they also see um, some of those benefits? Did they also reap the rewards because there was so much communication that needed to come it wasn't a nice to have right you we needed to get these messages out there was there a benefit that translated to the industry um so in terms of overall benefit no I, I, the industry did not benefit let's say from a rands and cents perspective so overall spend within the industry declined but we did see that certain even even within the decline you do see peaks in certain areas where they're doing well so obviously digital is one of those spaces purely because that's where most people were on and that's where it's the easiest way to reach eyeballs. But then you saw a decline in print because no one, it's a, such a tactile medium that people weren't going to touch magazines and they weren't going to be out as much and printing can happen at the same level, which is why you heard so many stories of magazines closing down. So the overall sector had a decline in terms of the revenue, but in terms of certain areas like digital, obviously seeing that growth, but that's changing right now. You're seeing a normalization that's actually happening. You're finding that people are going back into print right now because we, we know how to manage the situation we are in. We're seeing people going back into uh, spending more in film because they can shoot ads right now and not only have to rely on digital. So the key lesson is this, that when a major challenge like this comes, the, the medium that is most appropriate to be able to communicate to consumers is the one that's going to absolutely win. And that was digital in this particular COVID-19 case, while the others experienced declines. The overall industry obviously experienced declines. But once we get to a point where we understand how to cope and deal with the challenge, you start seeing some normalization coming in the market. And that's what we're experiencing right now. Um, when I look at what's going on out in the, um, out in the sector, I think that is a bit, I think a bit the irony uh, when you look at... Um, 
when you look at the creative sector, because uh, from a business sense, it tends to be uh, the advertising, brand communication, you know, all of that, um, that part of the market. Uh, but when you look at a crisis time like the pandemic, that is the the time when you need you know clear communication and all that but the irony is that that is the, that is usually one of the first areas uh that businesses tend to cut budgets from <laughs> yeah it's it's mind-boggling because you know i find it really strange so i come from the brand world um and started off in classical marketing and i find it really strange that a lot of marketers would actually cut their budget because what they forget is there's two important things to bear in mind. One is the fact that if you stop speaking to your consumer, you're not top of mind and your consumer starts uh, forgetting about you a little bit, starts getting eroded out there. And the second thing that they forget is that even in a pandemic, when consumers may not be able to actively engage in your product in the same way that they would previously, you're still part of their lives. So as I sit here at my desk, the, the pen I'm using is part of my life because I need to write. But if that brand suddenly was advertising and then cuts the advertising, I'm going to notice it. Um, even the tire brand that I have out there, I'm still having to get into my car and drive to the stores. And it's a, it's a challenging time if you put yourself psychologically to where we were. And to go into the supermarkets and to buy what you need to do, you still rely on good tires. So the relationship between a brand and the consumer is not something that needs to be treated very fickly where you go, yeah, I'll speak to you when it serves me and I will just communicate with you because I want something from you. There needs to be this understanding that brands need to build relationships with the consumers and that relationship needs to continue even in tough times. In tough times, you know who your friends are. And if you pull in those times and you don't support the consumer and you don't say, I'm here for you and I'm going through this with you, consumers notice it. And it takes a lot more effort once you're coming out of it to then be able to communicate and win that consumer back. And psychologically, it absolutely makes sense, but somehow practically, it's not being executed in organizations. And I think that's, that's concerning and that's a challenge. And when you when you then look at the specific players in the industry, um, that's what I think is one of the big um, questions that we have, you know, as someone who's looking at the industry broadly, is who's actually winning? Because um, I think earlier on, you did allude to the fact that as an industry, um, there wasn't, you know, that... Uh, that need that came through from communication didn't really translate on a rands and cents level, right? But somewhere in there, you know, surely someone was actually, you know, uh, reaping whatever rewards, whatever few rewards there were in the market. And the reason I'm asking that is, I guess, to just ask about the the dynamics between a large, you know, a large players in the industry versus small players in the industry. And the reason I'm asking about that is we recently had um, a lady on this platform um, who runs a small, uh, small, you know, creative agency and just talking about how hard, you know, it has been um, to operate during this time. She didn't even sugarcoat 
um, anything that was happening during that time. She just said this thing is difficult and she's had to let people go, etc. Uh, but we've also had, you know, one of the larger agencies um, on the platform as well. And they were talking about how it's been, they've been able to continue going, even signing new bigger clients, all of that. So maybe you could talk to us about um, those dynamics at play in the market between some of the large and smaller players. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it comes down to business dynamics, right? So if you're a larger agency and organization, when you're hit with pain, one of the things you can do is take steps to help alleviate that pain. So obviously, you know, you use a lot of freelancers. You don't need to pay those freelancers. You don't get involved in that. You close your offices down. You work from home. Uh, you, you shrink your teams. You reduce your overheads but you can still keep going with your team. If you're a small agency, you're already running very lean. You, you, you run lean every day, even the best of times. So when you're hit with a challenge like this, that lean business model now becomes a challenge where you can't afford to let people go, but you can't afford to keep them again. So I think in terms of the reality of it, everyone has taken pain. Uh, sometimes you do have some, maybe some agencies going, no, it's been great for us because no one wants to say, I've had a tough time. Because when you say, no, it's been tough for me, especially if you're a large agency, it creates the perception that I'm not able to attract people to it. So I think, I think sometimes it's a bit of, you know, in advertising this puffery where you, you go, no, we're great. We're doing fantastically well. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, it's this, this pain. So what I've seen and the rands and cents and the numbers and the data that's out there and, the, and just the, the real life situation of me speaking to lots of people is, there's been pain across the board. Agencies have cut their margins in order to be able to deliver the work they need to do. But obviously, because of business dynamics, the bigger agencies have been able to cope better and have been able to hunker down for when, when things are able to improve so that they can scale again. But if you're a small agency and you can't scale any further, unfortunately, that means closing doors. And that's the sad reality. You know, I like the fact that you bring up that point of perception. Right, because uh, that was certainly one of the things that, uh, you know, um, the smaller agency brought out to say that sometimes when you bid for work, um, a lot of the time you find yourself um, getting a contract, um, you know, for a certain client and you just have to, you know, put out that image of, yes, we can, we can do this yet knowing, but, but yet knowing full well that you don't have the capacity and uh, a lot of the smaller agencies end up contracting out, you know, subcontracting <laughs> out part of the work to the bigger agencies, um, you know, over time, which then eats into their margins. Yeah, it's a case of fake it until you make it, right? <laughs> when you're starting <laughs> off, it, 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 the, I think the reality is no one says no to work. Uh, and you shouldn't. You rightfully show. So if you have the operational hindsight to be able to understand how your business operates and what your capabilities are, and then the foresight to understand what you need to be able to deliver for the brand, then it's fine to take the work, even if you don't have the capacity in-house. Because in the end of the day, that brand is going to measure you. That brand is going to actually measure your performance. And if you don't do well, you're going to be gone. But if you can take the work and scale up, even if it's a cost of margin, to be able to deliver that project, it's worth it for any brand out there. So if that agency has looked at you and what you're offering and said, I will trust you to deliver this, then why not? Because what we are is a very fluid industry. We, we, 
We rely on talent wherever we can find it. We ramp up as needed and ramp down as needed as well because we've got great, um, a great number of freelancers across the board. So that's perfectly fine. I think it's, it's great that the agencies are taking the work and if they're able to deliver for the brand, fantastic. If they're not able to deliver for the brand, then it's a shame that they took it and the brand will see it and they won't have that job for long. Mm. Um, I actually want to maybe zoom out for a bit um, now that we've sort of addressed uh, some of those dynamics between some of the small and larger players and just talking about how the, the, the industry as a whole took a bit of a hit um, to maybe look at, I guess, communication as a whole. Um, during uh, during this COVID period, because now we can, they always say that hindsight is twenty twenty, and now we mm-hmm. can look back, um, you know, and actually say, you know, from your point of view, how would you say businesses did, uh, or you know, businesses, government, whoever you are choosing to look at, how did they do, um, especially during the harder parts of lockdown and as things were opening up, etc. Because there were a lot of competing messages, whether it's you know, businesses trying to fight for their cases on how to stay open, you know, or to be allowed to stay open. Um, others, other businesses, um, trying to communicate, um, to consumers around, you know, new channels to say, you, you can't, or we, we don't have that physical relationship anymore. Find us here. Um, or maybe even government talking about, you know, trying to communicate the lockdown restrictions. And there's all of this information that's coming at people left, right and center, you know. So how would you say communication as a whole did um, during that COVID period before we, you know, maybe even touch on vaccinations and all that? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of, you have to look at it from a consumer's point of view, because this is what we're doing. We're measuring it from their point of view. And when a consumer is looking at information, there's some that they want to pull towards them. They want this information. And other times they have other information that's pushed towards them where I'm not necessarily looking for it, but I stumble across it and I see it. Um, And if you look at generally most advertising, that's pushed. It's information that's pushed towards you. And then you stumble it on digital platforms, on the billboard that you're seeing, on television, on radio, and all of these different channels. But if you look at government's communication, that was information that consumers were pulling towards them. There was a lack of knowledge. So anything that government put out, consumers were actively trying to search it. I want to understand the curfew times. I want to understand what the restrictions are. I want to understand what this lockdown means. So therefore, any of that information that government put out had had a high degree of landing with consumers purely because there was a pull from the consumer side. Now, if we look at other sectors, and, and even actually, you know, even, even some of the supermarkets, they had the information being pulled towards them, or even the hospitals and, and the laboratories who were doing the COVID tests, any of the information they put out, consumers were pulling towards them and just hungry for that kind of information. So that landed really well. But then you have the other side where there are a lot of brands having to push information to consumers. And I think even in those sectors, those businesses still struggle quite a bit. Um, if I look at supermarkets, everyone logically went, supermarkets were open, supermarkets were able to sell, people were panic buying and stockpiling. I am sure supermarkets did well. Yet when you look at the actual data and the rands and cents numbers that have been put out, put out by major supermarket groups, the essence is they did not do well. They still struggled purely because they still had to maintain staff count, brick and mortar stores. They were buying in goods that were 
that were perishable, that weren't lasting, and they didn't have the footfall to be able to serve that and get it out of the stores fast enough. So those businesses actually struggle quite a bit. And then you look at the digital online platform. Um, any business that was was serving products on a digital platform did really, really well because online retailers were the go-to for most consumers who are really, really scared so, and, and were looking for other avenues to be able to get the products they needed and the goods and services they needed, but without having to physically go into spaces. So the dynamic of, of, the, of the push businesses, the businesses that are pushing communication is different. So if it was brick and mortar, they all struggled across the board. If they were service-related and they had annuity income, they were able to keep afloat. So lots of insurance companies, they had to deal with a lot more, um, a lot more claims, but they get annuity income. The, the contract's already signed. Somebody has to pay the insurance premium. They have to pay you know, their disability premium. It's, it's keep coming. It, that's coming to the business, but claims are going up and they're paying more, but they're able to, to manage. And then you have this absolute boost from online retailers who are already geared for this type of environment and already have all the products and services in stock, but have a huge more pull from the consumers for those services. And those are the businesses that did really, really well. Yeah, no, I, I, I certainly I certainly agree with you there. And I like the the push uh, and pull sort of analogy uh, that you gave, because I think that does speak uh, to the reality of what consumers face um, on a daily basis because of all these competing messages. And especially during a crisis time, right, there's the things you really want to know and understand um, what's going on. So I think that leads us very nicely to, you know, the current debate. Um, and instead of getting into, uh, you know, issues about whether or not people should or should not vaccinate, rather my question is about how how have you seen uh, the communication? Because there's a lot of communication that's being put out by the healthcare companies uh, about, you know, vaccination by government. Um, but at the same time, you have this discourse, you know, in the society. So if you're a company that's trying to communicate, how do you, I guess, merge the two, the curiosities of the consumer versus um, what's it called, versus uh, whatever stance you have um, as a business to be able to communicate that message out? Yeah, I think, you know, when it, when it comes to a situation such as vaccination, it's such a tricky issue because you have the scientific data that absolutely exists um, that's out there. And then you have perception. And, and these are two powerful forces, right? So you have absolute data that sits there, but you have a perception that that, that data cannot be trusted. Or I have my own feeling and my gut says that this is what I need to do. And I've, I've spoken to people on both sides. People are absolutely pro-vaccination and people who are absolutely anti-vaccination and understood both things. And the challenge that you have now as a business sitting in between and understanding that your consumer base has people who are pro-vaccination and people who are anti-vaccination, what stance do you take that does not alienate either side, but still protects your business as, as it goes forward? And the reality of it, if you look at it for any business, is that the data shows that vaccination uh, reduces hospitalization, keeps consumers economically active in the market, saves lives, and ensures that that consumer is still available to be able to, to support the business. If you're an insurance company, if you've got people who are vaccinated, it means that there's a lower risk of that person then needing to claim from you at a later stage. 
So a lot of businesses right now are taking the stance of being pro-vaccination, even though they understand that there may be a fringe group who are anti it. And the whole thing comes down from this. As you take the lead from government, what is the stance that government is giving you? What is the leadership of, of society saying? The leadership of society is government. And government is saying that what we need to do is go out and vaccinate and take care of the population that way. And therefore, a lot of businesses are gravitating towards the pro-vaccination messaging that aligns to what government's doing and supporting government in that messaging. Um, and, and I think it's, it's great because, again, if, if you look at the relationships that we have with brands, um, we trust the brands that are out there. The brands are part of our lives more than even government is, if you actually think about it. You trust, I trust this bottle of water I've got in my hands and no one can see at home, but I've got a bottle of water and I'll trust this brand more purely because I, I interact with this brand more than I may deal with a, with a government person. So if this brand is saying, I'm in your life and I think that you should vaccinate, uh, at least go out and explore and understand it. It's very powerful in society for for brand to be able to say that. And the bigger the brand, the more powerful the brand is. So forget the bottle of water. Not your telecoms company who you totally respect, or that cell phone company who you you know we're all hooked to our cell phones these days. Who's saying you need to go out and vaccinate? It means that consumers are now go to a phase of consideration, even if they were hesitant. So I think brands play a very powerful job in this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm very pro-vaccination because I've seen so much and chatted to so many businesses and seen the impact that it makes on, on society, on lives, and actually saving people's lives out there right now. And when I look at the impact that it's having on businesses right now, uh, I can completely understand why a lot of businesses are going with the pro-vaccination message. Now, as we sort of round up uh, this discussion, I do like the way that you articulated the stance of companies because it's actually even crazy uh, that you have to put out like a little disclaimer to say that I'm, you know, uh, pro-vaccination because that's how polarizing, you know, this issue is uh, for a lot of people. And if you're a company, because I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, something like Discovery, that was a big stance that they took. And, you know, that's something they have a big base of customers, you know, uh, on medical aid, on insurance and all of these things. And if you take a stance about how your own employees must get vaccinated, you know, that's an internal communication, but it's something that does send a message out to your, what's it called, to your customer base as well. So, you know, very interesting to see how all of that has developed. So as we round up the discussion, Pritesh, um, we spoke about data. Uh, it's something that you you miss uh, you you mentioned earlier on that we have our feelings, but there's also data. Uh, what is the data telling us about? I guess uh, this is coming back to where we started the conversation: the contribution of the creative sector uh, to to the economy at the moment. Well, how is that looking uh, from whatever numbers that you guys have? Yeah. So the interesting thing is those numbers come out delay there's always a delay so i'm waiting to have a look at what our 2020 numbers look like you know these things come out two three years after but what we can look at that's really valuable is the data that was available um that in a in a research report that was released by northwest university in 2019 and what that showed is like the core creative industry contributed 3.05 percent to the gdp so that was 155 billion rand and then the supporting creative industries 
contributed 2.24%, which is 115 billion rands for a combined total of 270 billion rands, which is 5.29% of the GDP. Now, what's interesting is the numbers that I don't have, that we need to find, that no one's measuring, that's really important is this just tells you what the creative industry is doing by the very action of existing and doing the work that they're doing. The creative industry is contributing this 270 billion but the impact on GDP by getting consumers to go out and purchase products and services is far higher than this, far, far higher than this. Um, and that's the data that you'd see coming out of supermarkets from, uh, from service businesses such as insurers, uh, from telecoms companies. That would be interesting to see if somebody actually does that re research report. But it really just shows that the economy churns and the economy moves because the creative industry is, is contributing and has all of this, this work that's been done. The overall brand communication industry, the brands, the agencies, the production houses, through their efforts, they really move our society forward. They bring cash into our economy and allows our economy to prop up even in this, these troubling times. And therefore, what we should be looking at is when we stop advertising, when we stop communicating, when we stop brand activity, the impact isn't just as a consumer not getting communication. The impact to the consumer is not giving the consumer the fair right to information that will improve their lives, allow them to have the products and services that they need. And that ultimately also goes to propping up the economy. Mm. No, very true. Uh, 270 billion, around five or so percent. That's a big number. You know, when you, when you then think about the fact that I think the next largest contributor uh, is like tourism and they're like at around seven, eight percent, you know, to sort of give the size of how big the creative industry is, um, you know, to the SA economy. So on a last point from us is then, you know, tying all of this stuff together that we've been talking about today, uh, the actual awards that you guys had recently. I'm sure people can actually go and see for themselves, you know, who won or who didn't won, uh, who didn't win. Uh, but for you, what actually stood out? And I guess within the back against the backdrop of what we're talking about uh right uh what stood out to you about the people that are winning and the type of work you know that has been attracting accolades right now yeah so um so one this is not just an award for the sake of an award it's not a pat in the back warm fuzzy feeling this is actually a business award so when people win the luries they're able to use it to get more business so if you're an agency and you win a lorry you're able to go to a brand and said this is a measure of my work uh, a research program across africa and the middle east involving nearly 200 judges some of the most qualified people in the space have evaluated this and found that the work that we're putting out is really making an impact on consumers breaking stereotypes and, and really promoting innovation. So it's not a warm, fuzzy feeling type of award. It really is something you take and you go and you go and get business out of it. And for brands, the value is when they see who's won it, they're able to look at it and go, I want to work with this agency who's making work that's resonating with consumers, because if they make work that resonates with consumers, I can work with them and ensure that my brand can move forward and we get greater business. So it's an absolute business award. And if you want to see the winners, the best place to go is to luris.com, which is L-O-E-R-I-E-S.com. So go to luris.com and you can see all of the winners, watch the work. And so what is the value? What is the value to, to the consumers? What do we want people who are listening to think about? I want you to think about, one, the impact that the creative industry is having in your life. Uh, and two, how do you take part in this? I mean, if you have a child who might be ready for a career somewhere, 
and you want them to really make an impact or somebody that you know, steer them towards a creative industry. Lots of people don't understand what an art director is, what a copywriter is, what an executive creative director does. These are just terms we use internally, like any industry has. But I think what we want to do is we want to open up this industry to as many people as possible. We want more lived experiences. We want your experience, your family's experience, your child's experience. We want you to bring it into this industry so that we can create communication that impacts more people. And that's the power that you have for a fulfilling career for lots of young people out there. This is a, is a great spot. And you can go to luris.com and have a look at the work that's making a difference and meet the people and see the names behind all of the work that's really impacting nearly 2 billion consumers across Africa and the Middle East. Um, any of the winners that stood out to you? Uh, yes. So we, we have Grand Prix winners. I mean, if I think of Joe Public, uh, who did Unity Laces, if you... Uh, they did this. Um, there, there's a campaign. We know that that across the African continent, in various areas, we do have xenophobia coming out. So, and it plays, it raises its head at some point, and and it was through through a shoe brand, through a powerful brand like Converse, who created these laces, unity laces that combine the flags of two different countries. So it may sound very basic and, and on one level. But what it's saying is it's sharing the shared unity between the countries. It's saying that we as a powerful fashion brand want you to realize the kinship that you have with somebody from another country. Uh, and that entire case study is really powerful. If I look at another one from Dubai, which was done by Adidas, strange enough, another fashion brand, uh, which was done by Adidas, um, obviously in the Middle East, women wearing bathing suits and swimming is frowned upon in some cases. So they created a billboard, most amazing billboard you'll see, which is actually a swimming pool with a glass pane. So it looks like a billboard, but it's a swimming pool where women would go in and swim in this Adidas uh, swimming suits, bathing suits, that people could see them doing this. And the whole messaging was to normalize the use of these bathing suits. Not nothing, No skimpy stuff, just just full-on bathing suits that were acceptable in society, but normalizing the use of using this. Um, and then finally, you know, one of the ones that uh, was really nice, we had some small agencies um, actually go out and, and win. Uh, and one was TNW who won with a Springbok documentary um, highlighting the Springboks win and Sia Khaleesi and the work that they've been doing at the Springboks and with SA Rugby. Uh, so all of this is available for you at luris.com. So you can go there and have a look at all of this really impactful work um, that's that's just resonated so strongly with people and um, has left such a mark. And hopefully the listeners will be able to go see it and have it leave a mark in them as well. All right. So that's been us. We we're talking to uh, Pritesh Raju, who is the CEO of the Luris, giving us um, some insight into you know what's been going on in the creative sector um, over the last year, over the last year or so. It's been uh, it was quite an extensive um, you know discussion, just talking about the messaging um, that we saw at the beginning of lockdown and how all of those uh, dynamics around um, loosening restrictions, you know, the different waves um, shifts in the way that businesses um, businesses uh, engage with other businesses and businesses engage uh, with consumers how those shifts uh, were then communicated and one of the big lessons that I took away was uh, um, I'm sure for people that are in the you know hardcore professionals you know would be like oh 
just push and pull. Uh, but for, you know, for those of us not in the industry, it's great to hear, um, you know, those examples of push and pull factors, um, you know, when it comes to information and how all of that can actually feed um, into how businesses and organizations are able to craft their messages. And then ending off talking about, um, you know, the vaccinations, because uh, that is the big debate right now. And if you're a company, uh, how do you do your messaging in a way that doesn't alienate uh, people that are for the vaccination and people that are against the vaccination because this is something that is affecting um, everyone around the world and then giving some highlights uh, just around some of uh, the campaigns uh, that stood out when it comes to um, award winners from the lorries for this year. Pritesh, once again, you know, thank you so much for being with us on the Business Day Spotlight. Appreciate your time with you. Really good chatting with you again. This is Mudiwa's Take. A great conversation uh, there with Pritesh just around what's going on in the creative sector. And I think that's one of those things that helps us to drive the conversation forward once again about um, what's going on in the in the creative uh, yeah in the creative space. And uh, when one thinks about some of the guests that we've had uh, from large agencies as well as small agencies, um, it's it's a great way to tie you know all of those different themes together because um, on a constant uh, on a constant basis whatever we know of companies you know tends to be from the work of the creative world that is putting out um, advertisements and whatever communication comes from that so very important and especially during this time um, where we have those push and pull factors especially the pull factors uh, consumers constantly uh, needing to know information about you know where we are with vaccination the way we are in terms of COVID-19, the restrictions and what that means for, you know, different parts of the um, different parts of the economy. So, for example, when there were uh, when there were limits on when alcohol can and, you know, can be sold, etc. All of those different sectors had to communicate um, to their various stakeholders. And that is the work that was being done by the industry. I do hope, though, that um over time, the sector is able to, you know, really reap the rewards from a monetary point of view, uh, because once again, it's ironic that uh, it's one of those areas where people cut budgets first. But during a crisis time like this, it is a, literally an essential service because as businesses and as businesses, as government, you need to get your messages out there um, because consumers do want to know what's going on. They want to have access to credible information and they usually want to have credible information from the source itself, which is either from a specific government department or a specific uh, private sector company or entity, you know, to say this is what's going on this is what's not going on and how you know they can take um, all of those things forward so uh, great conversation I uh, hope to continue with that and uh, you know like what uh, Pritesh was saying um, it's quite key um, you know some of the ways that uh, you know you look at creatives we keep saying creative but um, in uh, in actual reality it is a key uh, business service Thank you. 
And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.